Okay, so let's uh, jump into this final part. I say final because next week I will wrap this up as Easter service. As we've been talking about headed for resurrection or moving toward resurrection. And we said that that sounds easy enough. You know, you just got to die and come back from the dead. But getting there is the problem. There's a process by which getting to resurrection, getting to that place... Not everybody does it. We, we see people all the time, like just like Kenneth said, don't quit, don't stop, don't... And it's so easy to do. Why? Because there are, there are pitfalls, there are troubles that are set in front of you that is designed to stop you. I know we say, well, we got an enemy, the devil. Yeah, but he's also got weaponry. It's not him because all his power was removed from him. But yet at the same time, he has weaponry that's part of our nature and part of him setting the stage that allows him to push us and to and to intimidate us into stopping. I've used the illustration many times where I put somebody in front of me and, and I'll say, all right, you've got to stop me, but you can't touch me. And so I'll start walking toward them and they're like, but they can't, so they have to keep backing up and they have to keep backing up. And that's the, what the devil has been putting the situation up. God has said, greater is he that's in you than anything that's in the world. You're stronger than him now. You, the spirit that's in you, Jesus said, I have already overcome the world. Now, now you go do it. But yet at the same time, the enemy stands in front of us and laughs at us or he intimidates us or he tries to create problems for us or whatever he can do to make us choose to quit. That's what he does. And we've talked about two of those so far. The first one was the fact that he uses fear. He uses this fear that he can bring into our lives, this, this mindset that dread is coming, this, this anxiety. As I said, if you went to the doctor and, and he's not going to ask you, are you just afraid all the time? Are you just very fearful? No, he's going to say, do you feel stressed out? Do you feel anxious? Do you feel, you feel depressed? Do you feel... He's going to use different phrases, but it's still the same thing. Is there something about life that's making you too afraid to engage anymore? And so the second thing that we learned last week, which is really the forerunner to fear, before even fear comes, there's one that has to break open the door. Before fear can walk in, doubt has to find its place. And so doubt is always the forerunner to the fear that comes into your life. Well, man, I, I, just, I just hate this might happen, that might happen. And we began last week to talk about those two areas. And so this day is the third now, this one is the monster. This one is the monster. Because there is nothing I can do or nothing I can preach or nothing I can pray over you that will prevent you from having to deal with this. Now, fear and doubt, you can fight it. You can, you can come against it. You can, you can resist it. You can, you can transform. But you can't do anything about this one. And this one is simply called loss. Every person in this room has got to embrace or deal with, every person in this room has to engage the problem or the situation or the circumstance of loss. Every one of us. And, and if you're past the second grade, probably even earlier than that, you've already started in the process of dealing with somebody hurting you, somebody disappointing you, something, something irritating you, something didn't work out right. Loss is common to every one of us. And you would think that in the world, that's the reason they don't like God. Do you notice that? The only reason they don't like God is because God will not prevent loss in their life. So when the world lives the way it lives, it'll always throw up to a Christian, well, why does God let, let people suffer like this? Or why did God let that tornado come? Or why did God let... They're always going to throw because I would serve God if He never let me have any loss. It's really what they're saying. If, if, if I serving God could prevent all my pain and all my sorrow, and in fact, a lot of Christian preachers, if you're not careful, will try to promote it that way. Like, just, just trust God. Just give him $39.99 and he's going to open the windows of heaven. Just, 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 just do this and everything's going to turn out all right. I've come by to tell you, that's a lie. There are blessings, but there is a process of blessings. And let me tell you where it begins. Loss. This is, this is the process God uses 
in promotion. Now go with me in your Bibles and I'll show you what I'm talking about. First I want to read in Genesis uh, 41 verses 50 through 52. And here's what it says. This is the story of Joseph. And here's what it says. And to Joseph were born two sons before the years of the famine, whom Asenath, the, the daughter of, of Potiphar, a priest of On, bore to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. Oh, that's great. He named his son Manasseh. Well, let's see what it means. For God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. So Joseph finally has a kid and he says, I got the perfect name for this kid. God has caused me to forget all the pain. And God has caused me to forget all the rejection. And God has caused me to forget all the hurt. It's not that it didn't come. It's not that I didn't have to go through it. But God has allowed me to come through it and he has allowed me to overcome it. And then guess what? Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, verse 52. And the name of the second, he called Ephraim. Oh, great. So we finally got that through, so we're okay. No, listen. For God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. This is one of the most mighty men in the Bible. Joseph of the Old Testament. I mean, he is incredible. And he said, let me tell you about my life. My life is full of living in affliction. My life is disappointment through my family. My life is problems and troubles and dis... I mean, I'm telling you, I was low. I even named my kids that. I mean, I'm telling you, I, every time I said Manasseh, it reminded me of what I've been through. Every time I named Ephraim, I said, Ephraim, come here. That means God's been fruitful even though I've been in all this junk the whole time. I'm telling you, God says it's not the absence of it, but it's the presence of it and overcoming it that makes you who you are. Listen to how Paul would say it in Philippians 3, 4 through 11. Let's see if he has a better story. He, Paul says, though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Concerning the law, I was a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, I was blameless. I mean, that, that is a resume, buddy. I, everything church-wise, I did right. Everything, I mean, I was the best of the best of the best. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for the for the knowledge, for, for the gain, for, for Jesus Christ. Listen how he says this. Yet, I, indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of... Oh no, we love Paul. You know, Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Oh, I wish I was like Paul. I wish, wish I could uh, see all the things Paul did. I wish I could do those things. I wish I could do ministry. I wish I could heal people. I wish I could... Well, let me tell you about Paul. When he's describing his life, he's not listing, you know what? I healed this guy and I did this. Let me tell you what he did. He said, all the stuff I had, I lost it. It was all gone. It, it was useless to me. Everything that I thought was important was counted as law. For indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ, and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know Him and the power of His what? There's that word, resurrection. I told you we're headed toward resurrection. Paul said, I'll tell you where I'm headed toward. I'm headed toward resurrection. Either resurrection of my life here or resurrection of my life later. But one thing's for sure, I'm not going down. Though this earthly man gets weaker every day, the spiritual man is getting stronger every day. Even though it may seem like calamities all around me, I'm overcoming them all. I have run my race. I have finished my course. I have done everything I'm supposed to do. And now there is an assurance that there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. There's for sure I've got jewels and I've got rewards that I have sent on ahead. Don't worry about my pain. Don't worry about my difficulty. All the loss, all it was to me was a way to gain. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings. 
Man, I want to be better, Brother Light. Suffer some more. I'd be, I want to be so much better, Christian. Suffer some more. It's, it's always the same system. If you look at me and say, I'd like to be skinnier. Suffer. Eat stuff that tastes like cardboard. You wouldn't feed it to your dog, but you eat it. My dog turns his nose up at this stuff when I sit on the ground. But if you eat this for 60 straight days, now, I don't know what it'd do to your inside, but I saw one the other day. It's like this girdle you put on or something. Don't even want to know. It's like you got these big chubby people. If you rub this cream on and slide this girdle up in 60 days, you have a... And I'm thinking, really? That's your, that's your way? Tell me how that's going to feel all day in 90 degree Mississippi humidity. What's wrong with you, Tim? Nothing. I feel fine. I feel great. That's what he's talking. He said, listen, that I might know him in the suffering, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may obtain to the resurrection of the dead. He said, he said I'm headed for resurrection. I'm headed for my day. I'm headed for my moment. And loss is a, is a roadblock on this. But you've lost. You, you, you've, you've, something happened to you. Something traumatic took place in your life along the way. Well, Jesus deals with this. Go with Matthew, Matthew 20, verses 17 through 19. Here's what Jesus says. Now Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples aside on the road and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be betrayed to the high priest and to the scribes. And they will condemn him to death. And deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify. And the third day, he will rise again. Now, we always celebrate the rising again. He said, and there will be a resurrection. But he, he goes emphatically and says, let me explain this now to get to resurrection. I've got to go to Jerusalem. And I'm going to be mocked, and I'm going to be ridiculed, and I'm going to be beaten, and I'm going to be, and, and, and all of these things. But, but okay, understand, it's the process. I cannot have my resurrection unless I have my death. And, and if we could get away from the death, if we could get away from just have, the, just have the good side of it, it would be wonderful, but you can't. If you want to be what God wants you to be, you first got to die. Here, here, let me show it to you this way. Go with me to Romans 12 and 1. Here's what he says. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. He said, it's, it's what you're supposed to do. That each day that I live, what am I doing? I'm dying. I'm dying every day. I'm dying to Christ every day. I'm, I'm, I'm crucifying myself. I'm saying I'm going to live for God. Why? So that I might live. So that I might accomplish. So that I might do. So that I might be, be more than I've ever been. Yes, it's hard to die. But it's wonderful on the other side. But you've got to die first. And it's our reasonable sacrifice. Let me show you how Jesus would say it one more time. People are always like, boy, I'd love to have heard Jesus preach. Well, let's see if you would have loved to have heard Jesus preach. Here's what he would have said in Mark 8, 34 and 35. When he had called the people to himself, so he's fixed to preach a sermon, with his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake as the gospel and the gospel's will will save it. Whoever decides for the gospel's sake to give up their life, you'll save your life. You'll find your life. This seems so strange. The, the world cannot grasp this. You mean, if, I, if I'm willing to die, then I'll learn to live. Yes. If you're willing to give it up, then you can gain it. But as long as you hold on to it, as long as you grab it, You'll die with it. And you'll never have what you want. See, in life, this is the way it works. Say it this way. Losing 
by holding something too tight. You can lose, let's say people hurt you. Hurts that came into your life. I'm going to hold on to that. So-and-so hurt me, and I'm never going to forgive them. So-and-so did me wrong. I'm never going to let that go. So-and-so said that about me. I tell you what, I'll never trust. Whatever you hold on to, too tight, will be the very thing that kills you. It's like drinking poison and hoping somebody else dies. I hope you die. And the more you drink, the more you hope they die, the angrier you get, the more upset you get. Because every time they're blessed, guess what? That angers you that much more. God, I done cursed them. I done told them to die. And here you are blessing them. Because they hurt me. And I've held on to my hurts. I've held on to my disappointments. I've held on to dependency. Some of you, when problems come and troubles come and, and these moments come of loss, the moments where something is, is, is gone wrong, all of a sudden I go back to what I'm dependent on. I go back and first thought in my mind, I need a cigarette. First thought in my mind, I need a drink. First thought in my mind, I, I need to go hang out with my friends and we need to go do something crazy. That will take my mind off of it. The first thought in your mind, because you're dependent, you're an addict. Not to the resolution, not an addict to solution. You're an addict to what it is that your flesh cries out for that you hold on to, but what you're holding on to is killing you. The very thing that you grab hold of, it can be you got hurt at a job. It could be community hurt you. It could be a church that hurt you. It could be your family that lets you down. It could even be, listen, you can hold on too long to just control of yourself. You like to control everything, and because of it, you grab hold of it too tight. And, and you don't ever want to let it go. And you always got to be the boss, and you always got to have it your way. And everybody's got to line up with you, or otherwise your whole little world comes undone. Let me tell you what's going to happen. It's going to end bad. It's going to end bad. Because everything that you hold on to that tight is going to leave. And it's going to disappoint you. And it's going to hurt you. Bro, why are you saying all those mean things? I'm not. Jesus did. Whoever tries to save your life. He said there's a good chance that you might. No, no. He said if you try to save it, you will lose it. But if you will loosen the grip and let it go. And for my sake, if you will release it, let, just release it and let it go, you'll find it. You'll find the life that you're looking for. So let's see if we can't look at this and see it through Joseph's life. Can we do that real quick? I want to show you some things here about Joseph's life. Now let me explain first how everything that's happening to you in loss, the enemy understands that naturally to you, this brings trauma to your brain. So, so let me read this and see if I can explain. In response to traumatic events, the brain creates connections between nerves and strengthens or weakens existing connections. Depending on the duration and degree of the emotional response, neuroplasticity or the ability to alter neural connections allows the brain to compensate for the injury or the illness or the loss or the hurt or the or anything that's created pain events by forming neural connections based on these experiences this helps an individual adapt to new situations and environments low to moderate stress increases nerve growth improves memory while reducing fear. Now that sounds strange. In other words, you can go through a problem, but if you can keep the stress low while you go through the problem, it creates a healthy neurological situation. That's what they've discovered. This ain't, this ain't me. Don't, don't get mad at me. These are people that spend their whole life learning what God already knew. I appreciate their effort. It's wonderful that they finally catch up, but God done said all this. In other words, it improves. However, chronic stress or repetitive stress creates a reduction in nerve growth and memory increased fear to help an individual focus on survival. So what your, your mind does is it chooses one or the other path. This stress response can have a negative effect 
And the more in, in it happens, the more it becomes hardwired that way. So let me explain it to you in just layman's terms. Basically, everybody in this room has got to go through some trauma. Everybody in here has got to go through some trauma. Now, you're going to go through the trauma. Like it, dislike it, you can cry about it, you can lay on the floor, you can go to your mama, you can do whatever you want to do. You're going to go through the trauma. But your brain is going to choose how it goes through the trauma. Now, your brain is going to first say, oh, man, we're, we're in a bad situation. In fact, they consider it the same to your brain as PTSD. Your brain says it's no different what I'm going through right now than if I was in a war and people are shooting at me and I'm stressed out. My stress level can go no higher. And when you get there, all of a sudden your brain is like, we got to figure this thing out. we got to figure this thing out. we gotta, we got to come out with a way. And your brain, if you're not careful and you don't train it correctly... If it stays in repetitive stress, will always move toward the quickest escape. So that's why you see people who will say, man, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm going to do better. I'm going to do better. I'm going to try harder. I'm gonna, and they mean it. The problem is the moment a problem hits again, the moment a bad day takes place, their brain automatically kicks in and says, ooh, we got to go get a cigarette. Oh, oh, man. I need to watch I Love Lucy. I need to calm down. I need to take a break. I need to, whatever it is, your brain is looking for a shortcut. But if you will keep the stress level lower, in other words, if you can come up with a system, which God said, I've already given you a system. For I have not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. I've already given you a way to overcome it. Just don't let the stress level get you. But you have people, oh, I'm about to die. My world's coming to an end. Why? Because that 13-year-old hairless boy just broke up with me. I'm like, I don't know whether to slap you or pray for you, but you sure got to get a grip. Your world is not coming to an end. You got a lot of world still left. But if you allow your brain to take that stress level, oh, there'll never be another, there'll never be nobody like that. Be. Thank goodness there won't be nobody like that. Hopefully the next one will have enough sense not to leave you. But if you create that giant stress level, your brain is saying, oh, we got to find a way out of this. We can't live here. We got we to, and it will find you a quick exit. But if you can keep the stress level, keep your mind and keep your power and keep your... Then all of a sudden, even though I'm under the stress, I'm able to walk through the process. And my neurological system, it's built to do this. My neurological system will create patterns and ways so that, you know what? The next time that stress hits me like that, first thing I do, oh God. I don't know how it's going to work out. I don't know the way it's going to work out, but I know this much, God. There ain't no problem bigger than you. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. If an enemy comes against me one way, he's going to flee seven ways. I am more than a conqueror through Christ who strength. Tim, how can you just rattle that off? Because I've had to rattle that off time and time and time again. It's my mechanism. Every time a problem comes, I have learned that stress doesn't freak me out. Stress doesn't break me down. Stress doesn't make me lose my mind. Stress sends me into a pattern. And I old devil thinks back and he says oh man I better not stress Tim out too much why because if I stress Tim out too much he's going to get to fasting and praying and hanging out with God he's going to get to chasing he's going to start going after him he's going to start reading his Bible more than he's been reading it already that Tim Lot's going to go after God like he never has and you know what he's going to mess up my plan and I'm not going to bring fear or doubt or worry or loss into his life I'm just going to open a door for the next miracle that God has for him that is the process. So understanding that, let's go to Genesis, and we don't have to turn your Bibles. We're going to talk about the story, chapter 37 all the way through chapter 50 nearly. This is the story of Joseph. And if there's anybody other than Jesus and Paul, and there's a few people in the Bible, Job, that you just look at like, okay, they, they had something that most people don't have. They understood everything I just told you, and they understood it well. Jesus could stand there and say, oh, okay, to Jerusalem. We are? Yeah, they're going to beat me, kill me, crucify me. Don't worry. Three days later, I'm coming back. You sound awful calm about that. You can take the Apostle Paul 
He's standing in front of magistrates, kings, and stuff. He says, if you kill me, yeah, I just get to go to heaven. If you let me live, I'm just going to live like Jesus. Take your pick. I'm a winner either way. Job, even though these skin worms devour this old body, I ain't listening to my wife. I'm not listening to my friends. I just know with these eyes I shall behold him one day. And one day when I see him face to face, and he can't ignore me no more because I'm dead and I'm going to him. And he right now, I can't reach him, but I'm going to do one day. One day he ain't going to be able to get away from me. One day God's going to have to come up and deal with me. And, and he said, when I die and these old skin worms devour this old body, yet with these eyes I shall behold him. Don't worry about my stress. Level. You just lost your kids. It's okay. I'll see him one day. And you, you just, I mean, everything in your life is going berserk. It's okay. I know some people have the mindset of what I've just taught you, and they've learn this and they're able to handle what most people cannot so let me give you the seven let me give you these seven attributes that happens and you've got to overcome when fear when doubt and more importantly when loss attacks you when loss attacks you number one loss hurts because it's personal. When someone looks at you and says, I know what you're going through. They're lying. I don't care if it's a preacher. Well, we understand what you're going through. Just look up and say, you're lying out of your teeth. You don't have no idea. You may have went through seemingly something worse. You may have been through something bad. But you don't know what I feel right now. You don't know the doubt that I'm struggling with. You don't know the, the angle the enemies come against me. You don't know what, it's personal. That's what makes the battle hard. That's what the enemy wants because it puts you in isolation. You can be in a room full of people and still feel like nobody understands what I'm going through. And you would be right because nobody truly does. Joseph would look at you and you could put your arm around Joseph and if he was in your youth group and you could say, now Joseph... You know, we've all had to go through things and, and you know, God loves you and, 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 and just know that your family and, and all this, God's going to work. Joseph would look at you and say, do you know what they just did to me? Do you understand? I told them when I was a kid, I had a dream that, that one day everything would bow to me and all this. And I don't know, I'm just a kid. He said, but you know what my brothers did? They decided to sell me for Coke money. For a bag of chips and some Cokes at the quick stop, they decided, you know what? We'll sell him out. We're going to throw him in a pit for 20 pieces of silver. They sold their brother to a Midianites who were traveling through, hoping he would die. Hoping he would die. Joseph is crying. No, guys, don't do this. Don't, don't do this. Don't. When they're tying his hands behind his back, his brothers are counting the money. Here, there's one for you. Guys, you're just joking now. You've got to be joking. Come on now. You're, you're, you're not going to do this. Hey, take his coat off of him. Guys, come on. He's in the back of a wagon, tied down, looking at his brothers as they're going over the horizon, and he's thinking, they're going to come back and get me. And nobody comes. When he's in Potiphar's house, Potiphar's wife claims he tries to rape her and gets him in jail. Nobody comes. When he's in jail and he helps the baker, butler, and he gets them through their situation, and he's sitting there waiting. He said he would help me. Nobody comes. What makes trouble and loss so hard is that it's personal. No one but you and God understand it. And you have to trust that God made you in such a way that you can withstand the weight of it because He has already preconditioned you, pre-tested you before you were formed in your mother's womb. He already knew. That's why He can say, I will never put more on you than you can bear. I know what you can handle. So when you look around and say, why didn't God do that for them? He did it to me. Because God knew you could handle it. Some of y'all need to smile and say, some of y'all can't handle cancer. Some of y'all would have lost your faith in cancer. Some of y'all can't handle divorce. You'd have lost your mind. Some of y'all can't handle losing your loved one. 
You would have died if your husband or wife had died on you and everything had gone wrong. Not everybody can handle every problem, but God pre-measures them and says, you're the pick for this one, and I'm going to let you go through this one. And it's personal. Number two, loss hurts because it always upends your world. Nothing is the same after loss. Nothing is the same. I wanted to use an illustration of just bringing a cinder block up here and taking a sledgehammer. And in that moment where you take that sledgehammer and you hit that rock, it's never going to be the same. All the pieces may be there, everything may be, but there is a change that has taken place. Joseph, when he entered into Egypt, he could never be the same again. Now, now don't get me wrong, he could be better. He could do greater things. That's not the point. But he could never go back to sitting at his dad's little tent and his dad doing Bible study and his dad talking to him and his dad saying, oh man, we're going to be together and them spending time together and him having his coat of many colors. Those days were gone. They were taken away from him. And when you're dealing with hurt and you're dealing, you've got to understand things have got to change. I can't die on this hill. If I stop here, it'll always be broken. If I I stop here, it'll always be messed up because what has been crushed has been crushed. What's been destroyed has been destroyed. And many people sit in their chairs every day, sit in their lonely place every day and keep waiting for somebody to come back. Keep waiting for something to go back the way it was. I wish we'd just go back to the way. Quit talking about it. Quit thinking like that. Life is never going backwards anymore. Joseph had the ability to handle the hurts of the personal. He had the ability to handle the hurts of change. Number three, he had the ability because loss hurts because it's confusing. I wonder how many times he sat there. I wonder if my dad's going to come find me. See, Joseph, we make it sound like Joseph knew all this. Joseph didn't know they dipped his coat in blood and gave it to his dad. They could have just told his dad, well, we don't know what happened to him. He must have wandered off. And his dad could have started searching for him. But that's not what they did. They dipped it in blood. His dad thought he was dead. But Joseph, every day, sitting at Potiphar's house, every day in prison, thinking, well, maybe my dad will come get me. Well, maybe one of my brothers will finally come to their senses and come try to find me. Not only has life changed, but it's confusing. Anybody ever get into these moments where you ask these kind of questions? How did this happen? Now, I know you probably never have. Y'all make good decisions. I'm just talking about me. There's a lot of times I ask myself, how in the world did this happen? Why did this happen? Anybody ever say that? Why? Or how about this one? What do I do now? What do you do now? You can't go back. It's all that cinder blocks busted to pieces. Can't die here. Now what do I do? All these are part of what the enemy uses in your life, constantly in your life, to create confusion. Listen to me. Life hurts also because it changes us. We're not the same. Our lives aren't the same. Joseph learned a new language. Went on into a whole different life. We know that he, he, he had two boys. And God blessed him in the middle of his mess. God blessed him even in the middle of his problems. But listen to me. Life has changed. You don't see life the same way. Hurts change us. Let me give it to you in a story. Years ago, I love riding motorcycles. And, and I know y'all are bidding on that motorcycle. And, and I... My wife and my mom are hoping y'all bid real high. Because I'm in that, that bad boy too. But years ago, we used to ride, and, and I love riding. And so here I am, man, rode for years and years, no problem. And one day we were going to go down to Columbia, and it was called Red Bluff Hills. It's one of the best rides in Mississippi. It's real curvy, and it's like 10 miles of just curves and everything. And we were all going down. We, now, I've never been there, and, and several hadn't. So we all were there, and, and we start on it. And then somewhere along the way, I'm usually in the middle of the pack because I like to see everybody turning so I know, okay, turn. And, I, and I don't, I'm too ADD. 
So it's not good for me to be up front like, squirrel. That's not good. <laughs> it's just not good. That's just, I'm the one that falls asleep on the motorcycle, like, like just riding. Just, boy, I, just, I mean, that's just, you know, but God's good. He takes care of me. But on this day, they pull off. And when they pull off, I end up in the front. The three that was in front of me pulled off. Hey, we'll catch up with you. I'm like, no problem, man. I'm having a ball. Boy. And all of a sudden, we get to this one spot, and it's, I see the road. And I'm like, oh, good. So I give it a little higher gas. I'm cruising. About that time I get close enough, I realize that's a gravel road. My road goes that way. It's a right turn, a real sharp right turn. Well, I've got foot pegs, sissy bars. I, got, I can't lay my bike over enough. That even when I try, it kicks that back wheel, and I'm just like, oh. And there's that moment where you know, this is going to hurt. If you're a motorcycle rider, you just say, this is going to hurt. So I know I've got the sissy bar, so I, I know it's going to protect. So I grab the bike with my legs as tight as I can. I grab the one side of the handlebar. And my handlebars have spikes on them. So I was like, I do not want them bad boys turning toward me. You know, so I've got the handlebar, got this. I hit that gravel. And I start skiding. And the only thing I can do is hang on to the handlebar and throw my head back so that I just ride like this. The only thing hitting the ground is the top of my helmet, which utterly destroys. I still wear this helmet because it's, it's like my, you know, it's just kind of cool. It's like when people ask me, it's like, what happened, man? That's where I laid her down right there. It's like, you know, that helmet's no good anymore. It's done got cracked to piss. I said, well, it wouldn't matter, you know, it's not going to help a whole lot anyway if it's this little, you know, skull cap. But it helped that day because I was riding, and the only thing was this one arm has to kind of stay down. So it catches most of the, the problem. In fact, it was this arm. So it's, it's like, I'm... Finally, it comes to a stop. Thank goodness. Well, I get up, and I'm like, well, let's get this bike up. And all of a sudden, I realize... That ain't good. My arm won't straighten out. My shoulder won't move. My arm won't straighten out. Everybody's pulling up now. They're laughing at me. They're praying for me at the same time. I don't know how you do that. They take me to the hospital. That's embarrassing because I got to get on the back of somebody's bike. You know, I'm just like, I get to the hospital. There's just one nurse. She's a young nurse. <laughs> And she's like, oh, you got rocks. I said, yeah, you got to pull them out. And she'd grab them with her tweezers and she'd pull just a little bit, you know, just, and it would start to pull and she'd let it go like, oh. I'm like, look, either you're going to pull these things out or I am. So she finally pulls them out. And the worst part, I'm telling you, I had to have an iodine bath. This, I'm, I'm serious. I'm, I'm, I'm lying. I'm dying. Like 80-year-old man. I mean, just an old man with sponge and an iodine bucket. He, he walks up in the shower with me. I thought he was going to give me the iodine. No, no, no. He's sitting there rubbing my back and getting the glass and getting the rocks. And, and I'm just like, all right, this is really weird. This is not. And all this is taking place. But understand, from that moment on, I rode differently. Even if I didn't want to, that moment, even though the thought of it's gone, it's just like a funny story now, I can still look back and say, at the moment, that was real. We laugh about it now, but at the moment, and it created within me thoughts, and it created within me, a part of me said, I don't ever want to ride again. But you were called, you love to ride. Yeah, I know it, but I'm just, I'm just it's, it's too much dangerous, too much scary, it's too much... So you can talk yourself out of life just by the fact that you had a trauma. Somebody hurt you. Somebody broke your heart. Somebody disappointed you. A job didn't work out. Whatever it might be. And you can just quit. You can't answer why. Why did it happen? Well, they should have stayed in front. They shouldn't have put me in the front. They shouldn't have done this. I could have blamed people. I could have come up with every excuse in the world. 
We lose lost hurts because others don't understand. How do you keep doing something you love when it hurts? I see people ride horses and I'm thinking, ain't no way. 2,000 pound animal with a brain the size of a pea. And if that thing fell on me, but the same people see me ride my motorcycle and say, there's no way I get on that thing. Yeah. Some people say, ain't no way I'd marry that. But you did. <laughs> Just smile. Don't look. Don't look. Just smile. That's a good one, brother. Because it hurt. It hits the heart. Listen, number six. Loss hurts because it hits the heart. It's the thing you were called to do. It crushes it. It shatters it. Man, when they was fixing my motorcycle and was going through that, it was just so disappointing. Like, man, I miss... I, man, why did that happen? Man. Number seven. And I'm hurrying. Loss hurts because really love is real. You see, loss hurts because the thing you love is also the thing sometimes that challenge you. Not Jesus looks at His disciples and He says, Hey, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm fixing to die. How can you do that? That's going to hurt. That's going to be bad. Yeah, but I love this. Paul, how can you be shipwrecked? How can you preach? How can you go allow people to stone you and, 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 and go through all you... Yeah, but I love this. It's part of what I was called to do. See, the enemy is trying to rob one thing in your life. That's your destiny. It's what you were called to do. He's been doing that ever since I was born. From the time I was born, when I was five years old, he tried to drown me. When I was 10 years old, he tried to get me hit by a car and kill me. Throughout my whole life, he's been doing one thing after another to try to say, Tim, don't do that. Don't you go be a preacher. Don't you be a pastor. Don't you give your life away. Do it like everybody else does it. Just hang out in the parsonage, eat donuts all week and preach on Sundays. You don't have to get out there and mow the grass. You don't have to go and do all the other stuff. You don't have to build a camp. Let somebody else come up with this stuff. You don't have to be the one that's always doing it. I can't help what I love. Paul said it's good always to be zealously affected by a good thing. Make sure it's a good thing. It's a God thing. And when it is, just give everything you got. And don't let fear stop you. Don't let doubt stop you. And don't let loss, what, what I'm going to lose, stop you. Because God says you got an end in sight. You see, Joseph couldn't, even though he became successful, even though he had two kids, do you understand that still was not his dream? His dream was one day that him and his family would be in a good place. It was his dream. From the time he was a young boy, Dad, one day, I'm going to be somebody. And when I am, you and Mom will bow down to me and my brothers will. But, but understand, that's just the way God's got it planned. I don't understand it, Dad, but I'm just telling you, it's my dream. Son, you, need to, you don't need to talk like that. Dad, I'm telling you, I've done dreamed it two or three times now. I can't help but it's in me. Son, we just ain't going to talk about that. You're just making everybody mad. I know, Dad, but I can't help what's, what's in me. The Bible says in Psalms, and this is an important verse, you need to write this one down. Psalms 126, verses 5 and 6. If you don't remember anything else I say today, you write this down. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. We'll give you a promise that God gives over every one of your lives in this room. If you can overcome doubt and you can overcome fear and you don't let little losses along the way or big losses along the way stop you 
And I love the way one guy put it. He said, you know what losses are, Tim? Losses are the images in your rearview mirror. When you're driving and you look at your rearview mirror, you see what's behind you. And he said, if you're not careful, you'll stop the car and you'll just sit there. And he said, you know how you get rid of it? He said, when you move forward, when you get over the next hill, everything that was over on that hill is gone. You can't stay where you are. You can't remain in your misery. You can't remain in your same mindset and hope one day it goes away. The enemy won't let that happen. He's using that as a weapon to stop you. You think he's not going to remind you of that? He tries to remind me of stuff that's been three three or four heels back. And he still said, don't you remember that? No, nope, don't remember none of it, devil. God says he ain't remembering and I'm not bringing it up. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. And I love this next part. You can write this down. I'm telling you, this is life changing. He who continually goes forth weeping. You want to be a great dad? Then be that dad that cries over his kids every day, that gets up and goes to work and is miserable doing it, and tells himself all the time, I tell you what, I'm just going to quit, I'm just going to just run away, and I ain't going to do it. No, just, just, but you just keep weeping and doing it. You just keep weeping and moving forward. You just keep putting one foot in front of the other. I'm not telling you it won't be painful at times. Moms, I'm not telling you sometimes those kids won't break your heart. I'll about guarantee you at some time they're going to break your heart. Man, I don't care if, if everybody doesn't agree with you. I don't care if it doesn't seem like your family all is together. It doesn't matter if you will continually go forth in your weeping. Just keep doing it crying. Just keep doing it when nobody cares. Bearing seed for sowing. Just keep doing good and just keep believing and do what Joseph did. I'm going to be good in Potiphar's house. I'm going to be good in the jail. I'm going to be good when I'm in Pharaoh's court. I'm going to be good. I'm going to keep sowing good seed even in the middle of all of this. None of this is my dream, but that's okay. It's going to get me there one day. I'm just going to keep sowing and I'm not going to quit because one day God's going to finish what he started bearing seed for sowing shall doubtless 100% guarantee come again with rejoicing bringing his (laughs) let me show it to you Joseph now is second in command. Joseph has made it. He's got two of his boys. The famine has hit. But look at the person beside you and say, that's not his dream. That was Pharaoh's dream. Remember, Pharaoh had a dream. Joseph interpreted it. But that wasn't Joseph's dream. In Genesis 42, 22-44, here's what it says. Genesis 42. And Reuben answered. So what happened was they're hungry now. His family is hungry and their dad sends all the boys. Hey, we need to go talk to Pharaoh and we need to get some food. They had no idea that Joseph was the one they were going to meet. Joseph recognized his brothers, but they didn't recognize him. And Reuben answered them saying, Did I not speak to you saying, Do not sin against the boy? See, remember I told you your brain's going to settle a certain way. Let me tell you what happened to his brothers. From that moment on when they did that to Joseph, every time in their life something went wrong, do you know what came back to their memory? Every single time. If you let the enemy, he will bring up your past and he will wear you out with it. That's his weapon. Every time one of them's cow died, every time something went wrong on the farm, every time something happened, they would look at the other and say, you know why that happened. You know what we did to Joseph. It's, it's just, we're getting paid back for everything we've done. How many times have you told yourself, I'm just getting paid back for what I did. I'm just getting paid back for what i done. It's just, I deserve everything I'm getting. You're going to have to quit thinking the way you're thinking. You're going to mess up your life. But Joseph can hear them. Do not sin against the boy, and you would not listen to me. Therefore, behold, his blood is now required of us. That's the reason we're in this problem. Verse 23, 
But they did not know that Joseph understood them. For he spoke to them through an interpreter. And he turned himself away from them and wept. See, everything he had thought they had thought about him, everything he had imagined in his mind that he was fighting back, at one moment he realized they didn't think that. They've been hurting all this time. Then he turned to them again and talked with them and he took Simeon from them and bound him. And he said, all right, I'm going to keep Simeon and you guys go do this and come back again. Go with me to chapter 45, verses 1 through 5. They do come again. And listen to what happens. Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud. And the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard. He's, he's, he's just wailing in this room with his brothers. Oh! 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 All the years in Potiphar's house. And all the years in jail. All the years in this crazy Egyptian world. Verse 3. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. And it was an uh-oh moment. Verse 5. And Joseph said to his brother, please come near me. Verse 4, so they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now, do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. He said, I didn't get bitter from this. I didn't get angry from this. I didn't let my brain get me, mine said, well, if I ever get them in that position, I'll get my revenge. I tell you, if I ever get a chance, I'll get my... No, Joseph didn't do that. Joseph, his whole life said, I can't wait to the day, God, when my brothers and me are finally together. And, and he's asking the question, is my father, because my father's supposed to bow down to, is my father still alive? Did God fail me? No, God's been keeping your old man alive out there in the middle of a desert all these years because God doesn't fail on not one promise. God doesn't fail on not one thing he's spoken. Every I will be dotted. Every T will be crossed. Listen to me, folks. I don't know if you're getting this. I'm sorry I'm a little long, but I got to get this out of my spirit. There's somebody that needs to understand. You got to come out of your loss and you got to come out of your brokenness and you got to come out and you got to get it out of your rear view mirror and you got to realize God's got good stuff ahead for me. God's got a destiny for me. God's got, I don't care what the enemy said. I don't care what you did last weekend. I don't care what's happened in your life. God never fails. Listen to what he says in verse 13 through 15. So you shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt and of all that you have seen and you shall hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept on his neck. Moreover, he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. When they saw that, hey, we're sorry. It's okay. God had a destiny even in the middle of the junk, in the middle of the hurt, in the middle of the chaos. God had a destiny. Before I tell you to stand, you're going to ask the question, what do I need to do to move from the way my brain is to the way God wants it to? I want to be like Joseph. I want to be like Paul. I want to have what Christ said I'm supposed to have. Greater is He that's in me. How do I do it, Pastor? The enemy never blindsides you. It's just you may be ill-prepared for what's fixing to happen. 
But he never blindsides anybody. You know there's an enemy. You know he's coming, so it's no surprise. It's just whether or not you were ready. If, you had, if I told you a thief is coming to your house tonight, and you decided not to lock your doors, is that the thief's problem? You just say, I wasn't ready. Well, whose fault was that? Number one, you've got to take your thoughts captive. Let me give it to you this way. Let's say someone says, you know, brother, I'm, I'm an alternate lifestyle. I don't know what my gender is. I don't, whatever it may be. It could be anything. I don't know if I like boys or girls. I don't know if I, I don't know what I like. That's a lie. You weren't born that way. That's a lie. Let me go ahead and fix you. Somewhere in your childhood, somewhere you were born, something and something, you got a thought. And the Bible says, Jesus looked at his disciples and said, take no thought about this. He told his disciples, when you go somewhere, take no thought what you're going to wear. Take no thought what you're going to say. Take no thought. So let me explain this. You decide what you want to think about. Quit blaming everybody else. You get to decide whether you want to hate that person. You get to decide whether you dislike that person. You get to decide whether you hate your job. You get to decide. When I get up and work out, I get to decide when I walk in there. Am I going to walk in like, oh, I hate being here. Or I can walk in. I get to choose what I think. I get to choose my thought process. Quit giving that to the enemy. Take no thought. So in other words, you have to take thought because if you don't, your thoughts become your imaginations. That's what happens. And since we don't teach children to take thought, since we don't train them to, hey, don't think like that. We used to hear that all the time. My parents, I'd say something and my mom would look at me, ah, don't be thinking stupid stuff like that, Tim. Tim, don't be thinking crazy junk like that. And I, I think, am I crazy? Because she just like nip it off. I mean, I'm just saying, Mom, I've been thinking, that's dumb, Tim. Quit thinking that. And I think to myself, how do you quit thinking? She's, we ain't talking about that. We ain't thinking about that. Because thoughts become imaginations. Some of y'all, your problem is you keep thinking, you keep thinking, you keep thinking, and eventually you become imagining how it would be, and you start imagining what's going to happen. You start imagining your own disasters. You start, and, and like Job of old, what I feared the most has done come upon me. So your imaginations then lead to actions. So I've got this person who thinks they're not sure what they are. Well, they were born, the doctor didn't look at them and said, son, you're a, you're a boy. So we're just going to let him think about it for four years. I don't know. Sometimes I feel this way. Sometimes I feel... You know, I can imagine myself like this. I can imagine myself here. And eventually I'm going to act out on it. Well, I must be because now I'm acting this way. I must be. It's the way God made me. Imaginations become actions. And your actions change your nature. It changes your mannerisms. And it changes your brain. Why do you think the world knows this so much and says we're trying to transgender kids when they're Three, four, five. Why do you think that? You... Because in their confused, imaginative, open-minded, like a child, it can think it, and nobody's there to say, don't think crazy things like that. Don't think. Let them think whatever they want. Well, you don't know what imaginations are going to come out of a child. They watch Dumbo on the, on the TV. They're able to take their ears and start flopping and jump off a building. Dumbo could fly. I can too. That's a child. But we don't want to do that. We love playing in our thoughts. We love playing with our imaginations. We love, and then we get accused. We hate the actions, but once we do the actions, I guess that's the way we are, and it becomes our mannerisms, and I guess that's just who I am. Let me tell you what you have to do, what the Apostle Paul said. Three things. Number one. He said in chapter 3 of Philippians, verse 12, 
but we're not going to go. I'm just going to read the points. But I press on to make it my own. Take the thought. Number one, take the thought. Catch it. Number two, speak out God's Word in the middle of a crazy thought. Speak out God's Word in a crazy thought. Joseph, Jesus, Paul, whoever, when they're going through those moments, they have to catch. Paul said, take every thought. Catch every thought. And bring it under the subjection of Jesus Christ. Does it align? And then speak out what God says. When you do that, number three, cut them down. Cut down any thought, any imagination. What I just showed you. Don't let a thought become an imagination. Just cut it. Learn to talk to yourself. I can't imagine how many times Joseph in jail or Joseph in Potiphar's house had to catch a thought. Nobody loves me. Oh, quit thinking that. God's got a plan. Joseph had to do that for year after year after year until finally he reached his destiny. Will you stand? I'm sorry it took me so long today. But I'm not sorry. Because I really like this stuff. I really truly want you to leave here today and I actually want your life to be different than what it is. And if it takes me an extra 10, 20 minutes to get you there, that's good with me too. Because I'd much rather you get this and wrestle with this and go home with this than to have no ammunition when you leave this room. There's three enemies, three weapons your enemy brings. He brings fear, he brings doubt, and he brings loss. Of the three, fear, doubt, loss. Loss is the one I can't save you from. Every one of you in this room is going to have to deal with some pain. Some disappointment, some hurt. And next week, I'm going to wrap it all. I'm going to show you the whole picture of what it looks like. But it begins with you understanding, I can't escape. If I do life long enough, I'm going to lay it down. I'm going to wreck the bike. If I do it long enough, I drive long enough, I'm going to wreck the car. If I run long enough, I'm going to fall down and scratch my knee. In my case, I'm getting older. If I walk upstairs too long, I'm going to fall. It's just if you keep walking up and down them stairs, Tim, you're going to fall. If you love, you're going to get hurt. If you care, somebody's going to take advantage. If you stick yourself out there, somebody's going to slap it. But do it anyway. Love the destiny you want and your craving and what God put in your heart more than the pain that you got to go through to get there. God's got that marriage that one day somebody will treat you right. I talked with a lady after church this morning and that was what she had said. Took years. A lot of abuse. If I talked to other people, it'd be like, you know what? I went through job after job, got used, got finally found. God's got the plan. And Kenneth said it so perfectly. He said, I've been doing it for 20 years. Let me give you my great advice. Don't quit. He couldn't even hardly say it without crying. He's choking up because when, when he's saying that, all the memories of all the times and all the things that hurt him along the way come up. And he thought of how many times I could have stopped and quit and gave up and said, that's enough. But don't quit. Because God's got a destiny. Yesterday when Kenneth was here, his grandkids, his sons, even great-grandkids, we're hunting Easter eggs and eating hamburgers and fixing to go and hunt eggs together and spend time together. And Kenneth just looked over at me and cried. 
He said, I never thought. I said, yeah, you did. It's just hard to believe it. He said, that's true. I thought it a bunch of times. But it was hard to believe it. Those who go weeping and sowing their seed will 100% assuredly come walking back one day carrying their sheaves with them. Don't you give up on God. Don't you don't think He's unstopped on you. Don't you spend your time getting caught up in your hurts and your worries. God's got a destiny. As sure as for Paul and Peter and Jesus and David Joseph and Tim, he's got one for you. Will you bow your heads? Father, Lord, whoever that person is in this room today that loss has held them for years, loss is holding them from stretching forth, from believing for good, God, I rebuke it. And I declare you re-energize that dream. Show them their vision afresh and anew. One day I will be a mom. One day I will have a family. One day I will have a place of my own and I will have my own house. One day I will be doing ministry like I want. One day I'm going to see my kids graduate. One day we're going to sit down to Christmas dinner together and be a family. One day, God, I'm not quitting on it. I'm not stopping. I'm believing that you can't fail. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And amen.